So here we are. This is the pre-tour Life in the Peloton special edition with my good friend and regular Luke Durbridge. Welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me back on, mate. Good to be here. It's a hot summer's day in Girona. The final preps are done. The tour is just around the corner. And it's time to record the last pod before the tour kicks off. How are you feeling at this moment, mate, with the tour just around the corner? Oh, I'm feeling good. Um, I uh, just got back from the Giro. Uh, not that long ago, actually. Seems pretty uh, not that far ago that I was at the Giro. Um, I just came back. I had a bit of a week easy. Uh, been up in Andorra training with the team. Uh, trying to get the heat adapted because it's been uh, bloody hot in Girona. Um, uh, Friday, I think, was 40, 42 or 45 or something like that. Something crazy. So probably best to be up in Andorra than uh, to be back here. But yeah, feeling good and um, I leave tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, just doing the final little preparations, getting the coffee beans, you know, getting the things you take in your suitcase, all that sort of stuff. Getting it all G'd up. Well, before we get into your selection and stuff, I want to give everyone a little heads up on what's going to happen in the pod today. It's going to just be a quick little wrap up of what we're going to expect in the tour, what you're going to expect, what some good stages are for people to watch out for. Get into some questions some people have sent in. Um, talk a little bit about my tour selection. And then that's probably about it, actually. Yeah. Maybe. I bet I could maybe ask you a few questions too, you know. That's what I'll I like. if there's do. something to ask. Yeah, or just fire away. Um, but just in case everyone missed it last week, um, I've got some exciting news to announce that we've collaborated now with Wide Angle Podium. Um, what is um, for I guess for me what is the what is what what does that mean and uh, what do you have uh, what's that in store for you, for everyone? Well, life in the peloton now is with wide angle podium, like I said, and they're a platform a podcast platform. Mm-hmm. Um, they host a whole lot of cycling podcasts, the Cycle Cross Radio, the Slow Ride Pod, which I listen to, have been on some good guys there. Cool. Um, they've got a, quite a lot of gravel stuff there too, which I think is quite good for us to you know promote too. Because we don't mind the old good gravel ride, do we? We don't mind the old gravel ride. <laughs> We're we not probably, very good, but... We, yeah, we probably need to listen to the podcast a little bit more to, to get up our skills as well. Well, I think if you look at the peloton at the moment, the cross riders are where it's at, so they're obviously doing something right. So, And especially on my team with the uh, alternate program, I need to probably pick uh, up my skills a bit. You do. So make sure you go across and check out the other podcasts they've got on there. And while you're on their website, they've also got a donation drive there where you can either choose to donate one time only or subscribe to a podcast or multiple podcasts and choose the podcast you want to donate to. And all those proceeds go back into the podcast to make a a better podcast, better equipment, better show. Yep. More. You can start paying guests now. I can. I can start <laughs> slinging you a bit more money that'd rather be, than just beers. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> um, and also, there's some little perks there too, where we're gonna we're starting to produce some some merchandise. And really, s- yep. So maybe some Sweet. little freebies coming out there for some people as well, if they want to, you know, help with the donations as well. Also, there's going to be some extra content coming out. What are you thinking about doing? Do you know of any sort of inside knowledge of what you Well, I'm not going to release too much, but there's a bit of stuff coming up. So keep everyone needs to keep themselves ready for coming up. Merchandise is going to be released on the way. So it's going to go live in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes peeled on Instagram and Twitter and and, uh, you'll hear more about it there. Sounds good. Sounds good. On to the podcast. 
Firstly, what I want to talk to you today about is selection. Um, the Tour de France, it's a big rigmarole. It starts early in the year. People start talking about selection early in the year, more than any other race. It's the biggest race we know because of the hype. Not necessarily because of the toughness of it, but I think just because of the hype around it. It's been the biggest race in cycling for forever. So it's one of those things that pressure's on for everyone. Sponsors, team, riders, pressure's on in in general. So exactly. uh, I think the selection, like you said, starts October the year before, really. Everyone wants to be in the tour. Um, so, yeah, the selection is a tricky... Tell me about your selection then, because previous to this year, you did you just did the classics, then you had some time off, you slowly built up, and then prepared for the tour, more or less knowing that you were going to go to the tour, never guaranteed, but more or less knowing, so you could prepare that way. This year, you got thrown a curveball with your crash in the classics, then you thought you were just going to prepare for the tour, but last minute, you got the call up for the Giro did the Giro, and then next thing you know, you're like, well, now I've still got the Tour on the cards. How did mm. the whole selection go there? Well, what our team normally does is we sort of pick, a, which it probably should happen for all Grand Tours, <laughs> considering what happened in the Giro. Um, I think we'd lost uh, two or three guys in the week before. Um, so that's why I got. A, I wasn't even in, the, in the, probably the 10 riders that was possibly going to the Giro. Um, so the week before, I got a phone call to go to the Giro. Um, but... Generally, what we do with the tour is we have sort of 10, 11 guys, and uh, they pick a team of eight. And probably same with your team. You have your leaders. Your core guys are definitely going to go. Um, Who are they? Well, for us, we have, you know, the Yateses. We've got one of the Yateses going for GC, um, Adam. And uh, then you might have a few core guys around them. Is Simon going the tour? Simon is also going. Oh, yep. Right. Uh, so both are going, but I think Simon's going in support for Adam. For Adam, um, so you, you know, you guys might have Uran, um, TJ. These guys, you know, are a hundred percent going to the Tour de France, so they can a hundred percent focus. But then the the squad built around it are support roles, uh, like you and me. Uh, we would be going there to support someone like Uran or, or mm-hmm. Yates. So uh, yeah, pretty much our role is to be in best shape. It's possible, and you could be best shape possible, sun in your buns on the beach, or you could be best shape possible and be at the Tour de France. It's easy as that because mm. uh, the team, uh, with you know, within every team, they have their selection panel, and they try and choose the best team to support. So, I think for the first couple of years of the Tour de France, you're always umming and ahhing week before, week before. I don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. This year with the team's time trial stage two sort of leans more in my favour because that's one of my specialties. Mm. So I knew when the tour had team's time trial stage two, um, it's a big chance for to give your GC guy as much time as possible. I kind of knew I was doing the tour barring anything going wrong. What um, changes, sorry, just want to hear you say that, what changes whether the team's time trial stage two or whether it's team time trial stage 15? I actually don't know if they've had a stage, stage team sign trial stage 15. That would be quite interesting. I think they don't do it so uh, deep in the race because generally there's a few riders that have gone home and it's yeah. a pretty big, adva- pretty, pretty big disadvantage if you have a uh, team time trial so late in the race. I want to look back. Like, Do you remember watching it years ago like US Postal, Team Mobile mm. days? I don't think they were that early. I feel like they were like stage 10 back in those days. 
don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't really tell remember, you that. Yeah. Remember when like Zabriskie and that were in CSC? I don't think they were that early, were they? Uh, Maybe think, I'm wrong. I think, I think they were always in the first week for sure. Last year, uh, like no, uh, 2015, I think we lost two guys. Another guy pretty much had a broken arm. I crashed. There's a few other guys, and we we were we were already three men down, and we just had to. We pretty much just took the state as easy as possible. There was absolutely no chance we could do anything, really? and uh, because we had had so much bad luck in the first three or four days, and we ended up just riding it. <laughs> it was first time we've ever gone easy in the team, so I'm proud. We just <laughs> rode to the finish, pull the reins. Yeah, pretty much. Just don't miss time cuts. About it. Yeah, uh, right. So yeah, I, I think that's why they do it so early. Um, but yeah, but for or even for me, I was like, just sort of thought to myself, was like, is that similar to the way your team would do selection as well? Well, this is the first time I've really put my hand up to try and do the Tour de France. Um, years before, I had the Giro on the cards or I had the Vuelta. Was more than happy to have July to prepare for the Vuelta, but this year, early in the year. Um, I said, you know, if there's an opportunity, I'd like to ride the tour. Mm. Something I'd like to do in my career. And I started that game. <laughs> and it is, uh, it is a bit of a game, isn't it? It is a game. It is a bit of a game. And everything you, know? you do, whether you whether it's true or not, you start thinking, has this got to do with tour selection? You know? Yeah, yeah. With, even within your own teammates, it's things start to, you know, yeah, like, oh, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe it's I should <laughs> be first across the line instead of him. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, um, in the end, the short of the long story is I didn't make the team. Yeah. But what I was really happy with is what that goal of the Tour de France has allowed me to do as a rider. Yeah, well, and as we were speaking just before the pod started about your new love of time trialling, which for me is a, a great thing. Now we have even more things to talk about, you know. Well, you've been my, you've been my little mentor along the way because I, th- I figured, you know what, I've got all these great time trials around me, yourself, Michael Hepburn. I thought, why don't I just pick these guys' brains rather than trying to work it out myself? Well, we've still been trying to work it out. <laughs> well, I can just get up to your level at least. And it has helped a lot. And that's what ended up happening is I focused on that for that same reason, the team's time trial stage two. I thought, you know, if the team needs a good a bigger guy like myself, they might need a guy for the team's time trial. I'll make my, make sure I'm really good at time trialing and um, that could be a chance I could ride. And um, in the end, it didn't, it didn't happen that way. They still had enough guys, but I was happy with what happened in that process in terms of, I wasn't up there looking for the win, but I was certainly starting to get closer to the mix. So, Well, your last three time trials, you've been in the top 30. Top 30, so, yeah. You know, before that wasn't uh, wasn't a thing, was it? I just I just did what you said. I just took it as an easy day, and I just didn't even consider in consider it. So um, that was my selection. But in answer to your question, it really did go right up into the line. Our team's only been announced one week before the tour. Yeah. I don't even know if it's been publicly announced yet. No, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know. No breaking breaking news here. Well, they only know that I'm not there, so <laughs> we haven't we haven't released the pod yet. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it does go right up to the line. A lot of people asking me, "Are you in? Are you out?" And you said, "Look, believe it or not, the team hasn't been announced." So that's something behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know. Which I think they assume that these Tour de France teams are selected so far out, but it just comes down right to the line with form. Especially with so much preparation going into it, you know, that you'd think that you could prepare for months out knowing that you're going, but 
so many things happen. There's you know there's races before, there's crashes. Look what happened to Chris Froome. Yeah. Um, even even Garen Thomas crashed in Swiss, crashed out there. I mean, he's doing the tour, but you know that's a one thing. Um, the reason I was doing Giro, Sam Bewley broke uh, his AC mm. the week before. Things like this happen, so they have to have this long list because touch wood, but things happen. Um, yeah. So uh, so so late because everyone's running such a fine line. You know, weight wise, form wise, you can easily get sick, Taking crashes, risks in races, risks in races. So yeah, you have to have that list, and I think you either decide to. I think I mentioned it a few early in the season. You know, you know what you're asking for. You got to play the game, and you won't know until very late, and that's yeah. just the reality of being on the tour selection. So, and it goes back to the days that we were on the track. Remember those days, teams team shoot. shoot days. They were hell. You know, you, you wouldn't even know sometimes till two days before if you were in the, the night team before. or not. not like, before. You know, like you've just ridden the first two rounds the night before the final. Yeah, mate. Um, just come down and warm up with the team, show your support because you won't be riding. <laughs> uh, so we we learned it early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the joys of non-selection. The joys of non-selection. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of the tour. We're going to do a quick review of the stages, in our opinion, stages to tune into, stages to, you know, not bother. Mm. <laughs> um, we've done a quick review, so let's just jump straight to the stages. It's going to be a really interesting first week this year, and I think previous to this year, or the last few years, the first week has been a bit more traditional where they've had some sprint stages, which I actually love watching. Mm. The sprint trains is something I'm really interested in, but I think a lot of people viewing it on the outside prefer those stages where the breakaways actually got a chance and it's a bit more exciting. Just to quickly, I mean, one thing I always wonder, it's a good platform to say it, but the the reason that um, at the tour and a lot of other races you, you see the sprint stages and everyone's riding next to each other, you might have five, six teams blocking the road more or less. And um, But the reason that that happens is that everyone wants to be in the first 20 wheels of the Tour de France to avoid crashes. So if you've got 180 people that want to be in the first 20 wheels, then the reason you ride side by side is because they want to stay safe. Mm. But what happens is there, they get the peloton gets faster and faster and faster and faster. So on the TV, it looks like it's an uh, easy day because all the bunch is bunched up. But that is stressful. That's stressful and it's hell. Like I think my first Tour de France, we would had a sprinter, uh, we're trying to get Michael Matthews up, and they say, okay, look, Luke, you got to try and get Michael to the front and look after the final. You know, he comes over the radio, all right, boys, been a bit of an easy day today. And you're like, easy? What do you mean? We're going full tilt. But on TV, it looks like you're bunched up. So these are really stressful days. And I think I started to try and go to the front 60K out, and I moved one wheel at a time, and I made it to the front 40K later. I tried to move up. You managed to see like 60K. You tried to move up one wheel at a time and you eventually got there and you're like, it's like a breath of fresh air. When you, as soon as you get the, as soon as you get the, uh, the yeah. and we were actually, we weren't even going back for bottles. We'd done this whole day and we hadn't even got a bottle and we were taking Vitel bottles from the spectators and the front line was passing it around and people were just having little sips of water because no one. All different get, teams. All different teams. Was just taking a Vitel bottle, and because it was so hot, but no one had. You couldn't stop for a piss. You couldn't get a bottle. You couldn't. You do didn't anything. dare to. You didn't dare to because it was windy and it was stressful, and the road was only two car wide. 
So you would just get a bottle from the side and you would just go, oh, yeah, okay, here you go, Sky, here you go, EF, here you go, and everyone was just having little sips of this water because you wouldn't dare go back. And, like, this is the ridiculous things about those sprint stages is that you're finished and, look, the training stress score or the calorie expenditure or the power is not really impressive, but the mental stress... Yeah, that's the thing it doesn't get accounted for, does it? So those sprint stages that you see are like, ah... you know, it's another sprint stage, but it's like, wow, yeah, that's why you go to the mountains and maybe the first mountain stage, some climber's not there because mentally it's been a hell of a week for him already. That gets very much underrated with, with Grand Tour GC riders, general classification riders, is that it's not the physical stuff. No. Only, sorry, it is the physical stuff, but it's not only the physical stuff. What's it's the guys who can keep the cool head every day, mm-hmm. you know? All right, well, let's get into the Jump stages. In. Yep. The first week is going to be exciting, like I said. Not that it wasn't before, but if you understood that stuff that Luke was saying, it was exciting. But if you didn't understand that, maybe it seemed a bit boring. So this year, I think it's going to be stressful. And also, the, the, the parkour is also going to lead to an exciting racing as well. You know, it starts at stage one already up in Belgium, mm. riding over the, uh, the Murder-Gerolsbergen, which we do in Tour of Flanders. Yep. Cobblestone climb, very famous from the, you know, in the old days, it used to be the second last climb in the Tour of Flanders. Now we go over it quite early in the Tour of Flanders. But, but we, it's still a very crucial moment. <laughs> in the Tour of Flanders? Yeah. Yeah, still very crucial. We yeah. also go over it in an earlier race, um, Het Newsblad. Yep. I mean, Het Newsblad, yeah, which is the second last climb of Het Newsblad, which gives that feeling of Tour of Flanders, the old times. The old times, yeah. But now it's going to be in the Tour de France. Mm. Cobblestones in the Tour de France are always a funny thing because in the classics... Should never be in the Tour de France. <laughs> yeah, I love it because I'm watching oh, it. Hell. <laughs> but in the, in the classics, everyone knows what they're in for. In the Tour de France, you get a lot of guys who have... They've probably ridden cobbles, but they're not really that attuned to it. So it always adds a bit of chaos. Mm. Where does it come in the stage? I think... Oh, I have all the stages up just so I could uh, give you correct information. But, okay, I think it's actually very early. So I don't think it's going to be a crucial moment that's going to make it. I would say that the first stage is going to be definitely a sprint. Um, But I think they've sort of, as a spectacle, they've gone through the mirror within the first 50K of the stage. Yeah. But like I said before, everyone wants to be at the front. It's the first stage of the Tour de France. A yellow jersey's waiting at the end. Someone has a puncture, whatever. You could easily... It's going to be stressful. It's going to be stressful. So, But it is within the first 50K. So I could say the first stage is probably going to be a sprint. But it'll be exciting. It will be. Second stage, Triple T, Team's Time Trial. Yep. Into that, Brussels. Into Brussels. Pretty flat from what I heard. Big roads, nice big corners. Be super fast. Very fast. Big chain rings. Fast teams time trial work. Yep. Um, that is always a nice day to watch, I think. Opposed yeah. to watching individual time trials. I think that's a nice day to watch teams time trials. Always a bit more exciting. And you probably, I mean, depends on who wins the first stage, but you'll generally see a change in the other jersey. You know, it's someone, it's a team that... Do you think you guys are up for the win? I think we've got a really strong team. I mean, we've we've really stepped up our team time trial game from back 
we've also were such a powerhouse a couple of years ago, and I think this year we've won two or three team time trials this year. So I think we we definitely got a squad for it. But there could be a yellow jersey waiting at the end, and that would be very very massive for the team, and and also to put Adam some good good. Uh, Do you have a sprinter there? Uh, we Trentin, and we also have uh, Impy. So right. not a pure sprinter, but we have some fast guys. So. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Anyway, the first day, what's the time bonus on the first day? I'm not really quite sure. I think it's like is 10? it 10, 6, 4, I think, generally. So so it could be still difficult, even if you finish bunch time, you still have to win that team time yeah. by 10 seconds. You still have to, yeah. It's going to be definitely tricky. Stage 3 and Stage 5 are the next two stages I think are going to be interesting. Sort of lumpy days. Mm. We've yeah. never really had that. Not that I've two that I've done, but we haven't had a couple of consecutive sprint stages before. So I think they've gone a little bit more away from that, maybe because of more excitement or whatever. But these finals, they're, they're pretty solid. Like uh, I could see a small bunch arriving. Um, I mean, I think you've still got a Gilbert, Albanart, Trentin, Impey, these sort of guys. Yeah, going well, Gilbert's the not there. Oh, no, Gilbert is not there. No. Gutted with a non selection. Tricky. That's tricky selection. But, yeah, someone like that, Greg Van Avermaet, et cetera, mm-hmm. who might be up those stages versus, uh, you know. Uh, Alaphilippe. Alaphilippe, yeah. Versus a pure sprinter like Viviani or someone like that. Matthews, he could be up too. For sure. No, there's, it's that, there's a lot of potential winners in that sense. And I think that's why teams are taking more of those all-rounders because there's a lot of intermediate stages that are going to be, especially in the first 10 days, there is going to be a lot of uh, opportunities for them. And one thing I noticed too, it's a long time to the first rest day. It's 10 days of racing. I just did Tour of Swiss, Swiss, which was nine days of racing. Another day, then a rest day. I tell you what, I would have been pretty buggered. And there's some long stages too. The good thing I think what they've done here is stage six is a full mountain stage. It looks very hard. And what that generally does is it sort of sets up a hierarchy Within the within the first mountain stage, if someone takes a jersey, um, the bunch seems to calm down always after the first mountain stage. And last year, I think we had not ten days without a mountain stage, and it was just hell, mm. so stressful, crashes, um, all these all these things. Because because everyone's within a, a grasp of that everyone yellow jersey. jersey exactly. But then you sort of with the first mountain stage, you sort of separate. Okay, there's only thirty guys or twenty guys that might be able to take the jersey. And the bunch seems to calm down. So for me, even though I'm not the biggest fan of the mountain stage, but uh, you're happy to have. One. I'm happy to have it early than uh, wait till the second week. Mm. Mm. What is this? What now? What is the second and third week? Which I've almost like to split it in two mm. after that first rest day. It's almost to the first rest day and then afterwards. What are you thinking after the first rest day? Then we've got quite a short. By the looks of it, we've got a short, short second week. Um, we're only talking five stages until your next rest day. Um, and we've got three mountain stages, individual time trial, and a sprint stage. Mm-hmm. So that'll be brutal. be pretty hard with three mountain stages, but uh, it is quite short the second week. So I think you're going to have that really, really long fatigue in the first week. You get a quick short week, and then you're, uh, you nearly see Paris. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about that time trial? Uh, I actually haven't had a look at it properly. Um, yeah, like within my role, you don't really know if you uh, if you've done a hell of a lot of work. Sometimes you might take that day a bit easy. 
mm. because uh, I, uh, you know, hopefully if all things are going well. We've got Adam going really well, and I've got a lot of work to do still. Um, so that's that's not for me. I might be taking it easier that day, but if I get an opportunity, for sure I'll go for it. Mm. But it's sort of one of the things you take when the time trials later than the first week. Don't really worry about it. Just wait to see how you go when you're there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you think about the final week there? What are the one or two stages that are sticking out to you that are going to be the you know typical stage 19, stage 20? What yeah, are you thinking? What, personally, what I think this year that the tour has done, they've done a really high altitude thing in the back week. Um, in the last three stages, you go over 2,200 metres, which is something that the tour... Well, it has done before, but you don't. We're, we're racing. And I think as soon as you go over two thousand meters, your body um, changes significantly. Mm. You know, we race to eighteen hundred meters, seventeen hundred meters quite often. Not saying that it's still bloody hard, but as soon as you go over two thousand, there's certain people that can cope really well. Colombians, <laughs> I was about to say the Colombians. <laughs> uh, and there's, I think we go to two seven one day, two six another day, and two four. So. Maybe multiple two times. Seven. Two seven seventy, I think, is the highest pass I've looked wow. at here. So that's something that will make a big difference. You're already fatigued. You're in the last three stages of the Tour de France, and you're going to altitudes that you never go to. So that'd be that'd be very very solid. Very very solid. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, that's that's a nice little wrap up because bit of a wrap up. you know, like. And obviously, as we get more into it, we're going to get a bit more in tune to what's going on. But sitting on the outside, it's always difficult to predict stuff when the, before the race has even started. But um, I think that first week, like you said, well, literally that first 10 days is going to be something really to tune into um, and see that jersey sort of changing hands for a little bit. Moving on, we've actually got some questions that people have sent in. And I think we'll just run through them and just give everyone a little bit of an idea of What's going to happen this year in the tour? You answer a few, I answer a few. Sure. You go. What have we got? What's your pre-Tour de France prep? And we sort of touched on that. This is from Nick's writer. Nick's Nick's writer, sorry. Um, What was your... Tour de France prep because, like you said, it was it's been changed from the Giro. But what have what have you done literally since the Giro to now? And the Giro finished what five weeks ago, four weeks ago today, is it? I couldn't tell you. I think yeah, it, yeah it must be about that. Four weeks ago yesterday. Four weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, my prep looks like week off. Yep. More or less, move the body a bit. I pretty much eat and drink what I want for a week, and um, and then I went. to to altitude, um, it's the easiest way to stay healthy and keep weight off. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what you need to do is it's really basic. You just need to keep your body moving. You have so much load from the Giro, and I finished the Giro not wrecked. So if you finish the Giro wrecked, you're pretty much pulling yourself out of hole for two weeks. But because I didn't finish completely empty, I could have a week off and then pretty much start back to training. And you just need to touch on each zone throughout the next couple of weeks just to sort of build a little bit of base, Keep pretty much keep your weight off, touch on all the zones, recover as much as you can, make sure the body's moving well, um, get back to basics, eat well, good nutrition. Seems pretty simple. 
but you've got so much load in your legs, you don't need to do much and you just need to absorb that. And if you go and do too much, you arrive at the tour too tired and by the end of the first week, you are, you're on your knees. I've done the Giro and the tour twice before, back to back. And I've definitely got it wrong the last two times. Oh. So I'm hoping that I don't get it wrong this time. What's one thing that you've noticed this time you've done completely different than the other two times? Well, I think I finished the Giro too tired. depleted, too yeah. tired, um, and didn't give myself enough rest. Yeah. Um, I'm a fair bit older than I was back then. I think I was only 23. So I was like not really sure about my body. My body was doing all these different things and was putting on weight and my nutrition was pretty bad. I was trying to diet pretty heavily, but I was putting on weight by dieting, you know, like not Just giving... because the body was fatigued, fatigued and protecting and itself, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, now, now I think you've got a good feel. You have to... There's no set plan. You have to be adaptable. So mm. one day you wake up really tired, have the day off. Just because in the, the coach's ideal world... You need to do this. You don't do it. You, you just have to be in tune. Just be in with your tune own and listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's that's so pretty much it. And then last week I've done a bit of intensity. Have there been any key sessions that you've sort of gone? I need to knock this out before I know I'm ready for the tour. Not really. Not 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 something that you have to put so much pressure on. Oh yeah, I did a I did a long TT. Um, but that's more because of my ambitions later in the year. I would like oh. to go to the worlds. So it's not really for the Tour de France, but I okay. would like to go to the Worlds to do the time trial. So I did one of them. But yeah. Anyway, let me hit you with one. Um, how do you stop yourself from overtraining? This is from Greg WA Dude. I think this is in general. Um. Is it the coach or you sort of call it? I think it's back to what you just said then is being in tune with your own body and knowing when enough is enough. And you've got to be really sort of honest with yourself there and make sure you're not being a slack bastard and going, you know what, I can't be f- fucked today. <laughs> More or less. Um, or then on the flip side going, you know what, enough is enough. So you do know it after a few years that you're doing junk case, let me say that, when you just you feel tired you're just riding along opposed to training. That's, a, that's an indication to me. I can feel it in my legs. I can just feel it in my general body and, and how I am off the bike. If I'm grumpy, if I'm, if I'm tired, if I'm just a pain in the ass to be around, I need some rest. Yeah. Unfortunately, you get that feeling coming into the third week of a Grand Tour, but mm-hmm. you've got no choice about it. <laughs> That's and true. that's sort of an indication. You know when you get to that level in training, the, the beautiful thing with training is it's training. Mm. And you can take that rest and get the best benefit out of it. But you're always in that undeciding factor of like, should I take a rest day or am I just being soft? Or yeah. is this the whole point of the coach's plan? But you know there's a level, isn't there? I think exactly what this question states is it's a problem with athletes is that there's not many pro athletes out there who are under training. It's more about stopping at overtraining. And that's when the coaches do come in and just go put the brakes on a bit and you've got to listen to your coach. If you're going out there doing secret training so your coach doesn't know about it, I think you've got some problems. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question. 
This was a good question that you sort of already answered. How many ta- stages does it take for the bunch to settle? Does it depend on who's present? And I think they're referring to, this is from Tonk184. They're referring to in the Tour de France, and you, you mentioned this before, how long does it take before the bunch actually goes, okay, that's your position, that's my position, let's just race and let's just get to the finish line? Uh, I think it's for all Grand Tours. It's after the first week, hey? Yeah. You know, like I said, after maybe the first mountain stage or after the first week, everyone's energy level starts to go down and you can see who is really struggling and who's not really struggling and people just generally stay where they meant to stay. And the GC hierarchy becomes, um, like, relevant. Yep. Yeah. So probably our first week. Pretty much the same with all grand tours. First week or first mountain stage. And if the first mountain stage is after the first day or second day, which has happened, there still is a bit of stress around. But yeah. it, is, it is straight away less. It is straight away less. It makes a big difference. Next one? Yep. Um, can we get stats on Grand Tour climbs versus 10-day tour climbs? What's the pace like? This is from Blonde. This is something that both you and I aren't going to know too much about, but we still get a feel of it of the smaller climbs that we have to get over. Mm. And... Personally, I don't think there's that much difference. I was about to say that. I don't think there is any difference. No. I, I Maybe there, the one difference I feel there is in a smaller stage race, less days, Yeah. there's a few guys who are on the borderline of maybe getting over a climb or maybe not, mm-hmm. still go for it. In a Grand Tour, they make that decision to go, I'm yeah. actually not a climber. Yeah, But true. when it's like a Paris-Nice or a Tour of Suisse... A classic guy trying to get a hard day in well, or... Someone like a Tish Benut. Yep. In a Tour of Suisse, he was right up there competing for GC. the GC because mm-hmm. he can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a Grand Tour... Maybe he hasn't go for that because it's 21 days. It's a really spe- specific rider. And he picks one day to go for a stage or something. I could yeah. be completely wrong. Maybe he'll yeah. finish third in the tour this year. <laughs> yeah, but that's an example. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's too much difference, no. Cool. Next question. All right, let's move into some accommodation questions on the tour, which is something you might have to answer all of these because it's something I've never done. The worst accommodation in the Tour de France, Tonk 184 again. Well, you've done um, Paris-Nice. Yeah, but in the Tour de France. <laughs> no, but the, uh, this is uh, probably Campanile. Yeah. Ibis. You know, those chains, you can't even open up your suitcase in the... The rooms are just so small. There so should small. be... We, no we... air con, and it's Tour, so we've got like a little, couple of fans, you know, and you literally can't open your suitcase. It's, it's like the staff have to flip their bed up on the side to put the massage table. There should be a rule in a hotel that you should be out <laughs> open a normal size suitcase. Should be, it? but it's not possible. So I think they're the worst. Um, there is occasional... The, I actually really like the old family hotels, mm. you know? Well, you've team. got the team because what often happens is the teams are split into hotels. Not all the teams are at one hotel. So you might get a hotel, if it's a bigger hotel, a chain hotel, you might get three or four teams there. Yeah. Which is a sh- crap situation. 
Because there's just no room. And, and teams require a lot of extra crap. Exactly. Ice, more yeah. baguettes, more towels, yep. extra stuff at the dinner. So if you've got three or four teams there, the hotel's really clacked out and they're yep. just like, why did I ever get a cycling team here? Yeah. If you've got a hotel, a smaller hotel, where you've only got one team there, the team, the hotel's not clacked out. They're sort of like privileged to have you there. They're a bit fans too and they love it. And they yeah, and they go to the extra mile exactly. for you. They, you know, you ask something like, yeah, no worries, we'll do it for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Exactly. All right, what's the worst meal you've been served on a grand tour? Well, a grand tour. Actually, I can answer this too. <laughs> uh, this is from Modo's EBCs. Um, I would say one time in the Giro, we were staying in this hotel actually in France. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was terrible. We Actually, your previous chef, Sean, saved us actually. Yeah. Um, we had a... They served us a cup of rice each, and I think it was chicken. Um, I don't know. We never used to take a chef to the Giro because the food was always really good at, at in Italy, and uh, so we didn't have a chef. And literally, got a, we'd done a mountain stage, probably six thousand calories that day, and we got a cup of rice and something that none of us ate, and uh, that was it. And we sort of said, where's the food? And they said, oh, well, that's all we got told that we had to give you. Um, so they had nothing. So we were just sitting there like, oh, this is horrendous. I was trying to work out what we've got to do. We've got another mountain stage the next day. And Sean, the legend, sort of saw this. They had it, you know, Garmin back in the day had the chef and Sean cooked up a huge risotto, did some big steak and just put it on our table. And look, we were an hour later than everyone else, but it didn't matter. So it was just, it sticks into my mind. It's probably the worst food that we've had, but turned out to be one of the best. So, yours? Uh, I can't actually think. It's been some I, bad ones, probably. Yeah. Often, yeah, often you get in when you get in very late to the hotel. Now we have chefs, it's pretty yeah. not that bad. But. And I think one thing for everyone to understand is often these hotels can make good food. But they get a menu from the race. Also a budget, yeah. Yeah, a budget and a menu from the race. The, the race might say to them, you need to have a meat, you need to have a pasta or a rice and a salad. And sometimes they take that literally and go, well, that's literally all you're going to get. Yeah. And sometimes you look across because the staff just get the hotel meal, which is whatever they want to make. And you're like, why they get pretty we flicked. get that? <laughs> yeah. they can also get flicked too or yeah. they can get good stuff true. especially in Italy true that's very true um, well let's move on to some nutritional questions then how do you manage to stay properly hydrated on the hot days a lot of hot days coming up um, so well, what's your hydration protocol looking to the tour generally most days you just prehydrate in the morning um, there might be like minerals or salts in your water and you might drink a litre, litre and a half before the stage from when you wake up to when you start. During the stage, um, you're trying to put away two, on the really hot days, three bottles an hour and that could be a, a mixture of carbohydrates, minerals and uh, just plain water. What you can do is you can have too much carbohydrate not enough water, and then your stomach starts to shut down on the hot days. That's why it's always tricky. Um, and then post-stage, I like to do the weight, weigh myself in the morning, weigh myself after the stage, 
work out roughly if I've lost two kilos or three kilos or whatever. And then I'll try and drink at a minimum before I get off the bus a litre and a half with some minerals and salts in it. And then if I've lost more than probably normal, I'd probably do maybe another one before bed. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're pretty onto it now, team doctors, team nutritionists, to making sure we keep it hydrated. Um, one extra thing that we do is that we have our urines checked in the morning. So uh, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Do a little urine pot and <laughs> sounds disgusting, but the doctor just checks the density of that and if overnight... What is the range that you... I'm always normally, look, I call it 10, but I think it's like 0.001 Okay, is the density. Okay. And if you're like... Above zero, that. Yeah. If you're above, I think if you're above Probably 30... That's detrimental. Yeah. Not detrimental. I think it's like, okay, you need to start drinking a fair bit of water before the stage. Sure. But I range between 10 and 20. Okay. Um, for anyone who doesn't know out there, these values are going to mean bugger all. But all pretty much they do is they just check the density and just see like, okay, you're pretty dehydrated. You've still got a few hours because the stage normally doesn't start to the, you know, 12 o'clock or 11. So you've still got a few, few hours in the morning and take a bit more care about getting some fluids in before the start of the stage. Yep. How about this one here? Uh, to what extent are ketone drinks used in the Peloton and do teams use them during the Tour de France? And this is from Vitaphone. I know that I think Sky were using some ketone stuff. I've heard rumors about them and there's new drink out now, bloody expensive, but... Don't really, not not within our team. Um, no, our team also look, and I'm like I said, not that I know of um, that our team's using them. They might introduce something at the tour. I'm not too sure, but as far as up to this point, we're not. Um, I don't know too much about them. I know that, that they are being used opposed to previously. Ketone drinks were used to help use the metabolism of fat for energy. Yep. And I've heard now that they're using ketones to help with recovery, that the body at the end of the day when it's recovering used to, when it's been, you know, depleted, depleted it uses, you know, muscle, it's stress on the muscles. And mm. if you have ketone drinks, this is very rough, someone's going to prove me wrong here, but <laughs> this is just what I've heard, that you have a ketone drink to help recovery, that the ketones that your body normally produces naturally, you put them in um, synthetically and that then stops that triggering of muscle breakdown. Interesting. Interesting. Um, let's not talk about that too much no, because we're going to butcher it. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Okay, so then let's move on to recovery stuff. What do you do for efficient recovery when you're riding stage races? What are some things you do when you get straight on the bus? You spoke about the hydration is there anything else you have when you first get on the bus yep we just have um pretty much carbohydrates the go-to your body's been so depleted and um the quickest source of fuel is you know sugar um so i'll have you know fanta straight away oh yeah after a stage um and i'll probably keep it pretty pretty low in terms of just um no protein or fats etc like that and i'll keep it like pretty high based sugar in the first hour 
No so protein shake when you get on? Nothing, no. Nah. Because uh, I feel that, one, your body won't use that protein because your body's in such a high metabolic state that I feel you just need the glucose to go straight in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just keep it pretty... Uh, and also your stomach sometimes straight after a stage, you don't necessarily feel like a big pasta feed with some egg and tuna or whatever protein you want to chew, yogurt, etc. So I just keep it pretty low in terms of uh, protein and fat and just keep it solely glucose-based. Um, that can be biscuits and chockies and all the little fun stuff that you can get away with because you've done 6,000 calories. And then after that first hour, then I'll, you know, if we're still on the bus, go and have, uh, go and have either your protein shake with some pasta or sit down to a, a, a good meal. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about other recovery methods apart from diet? Do you do anything else on the bus, traveling back to the hotel? Well, hot stages, sometimes we have like a slushy machine, yep. get your core body temp down. So we have like a cold drink, you know, ice slushy. And, that and that's is, also got the glucose in it. Exactly. Um, try and get your, pretty much just try and get your body core temp down as quick as possible can aid recovery. One thing I do on the longer transfers, I've started doing it now because you get there so late that I've started flicking the massage, so saying, you know what, I'm not going to get a massage because I just want to have a normal Because sometimes you get the hotel 10, yeah. 10 o'clock sometimes. And you're just like, you know what, by the time I get a massage, it's 11, I want to have dinner, that's going to be 12, then I want to have digest a bit, yeah. it's one, watch a movie, it's three. Three, and then stage <laughs> start, you get up four. But you know what I mean? So yeah. what I've been doing is we've got these recovery boots. Um, they're sort of like, the, the brand's called Normatech. Oh, yeah, compression boots yeah. Yeah. and I use them on the bus which is sort of like a flush it's like a massage they compress on your legs mm-hmm. and release and you do that for an hour on the bus get into the hotel might have time for a quick check from the chiropractor yeah. then go down and get some dinner and then just get to bed actually because the biggest thing you can do is actually just to refuel yeah. versus the massage I love the massage time for you know mentally switching off yeah Probably the best thing you can do is to get nutrition. And I think two things, the nutrition and sleep. True. You know? Sleep is the biggest performance enhancer you can do. You're up, mate. All right. Um, is there a uh, – this is from uh, – this is uh, in terms of other riders in the peloton. Is there a special bond between Aussies in the peloton that extend over different teams? This is from Secondhand Cyclist. Well, I guess doing the mateship that we have, I guess it's true. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I think, look, initially when we were both on Green Edge, I get the feeling that it felt like most of the Australians were on that team in the beginning. Mm. You know, there were a couple guys outside that we chatted to. But then since those years, everyone's dispersed a bit. Mm -hmm. And yet we we just talk across the teams. there is a special bond between the Aussies. You know, once once everything calms down and the breakaway's gone, you sort of find yourself migrating back to your friends, which are generally Australians, and just having a chin wag and then getting back into the racing. Yep, for sure. What languages are spoken in the peloton? Does this affect communication? How does how do you communicate tactical instructions without other teams hearing? Pom de terre. Uh, this is from Pom de terre. Yeah, I, I think probably the biggest language in Peloton now is English. Yeah. Um, Mo, if you're on a team that's not English, um, then you need to obviously learn that language. That's also tricky for Aussies to go to, say, a French team or a Spanish team because they speak Spanish on the radio or they speak French on the radio. 
Uh, we all have different channels that we're on, so you can't hear another team. But what about if you're riding along next to someone and you're saying, okay, we're going to attack on the hill at kilometre 60? Yeah, you keep it to yourself. Yeah, but how do you do that? Well, you keep you either say on your own radio. And yeah, then... but I mean you're riding next to me. Oh. I could hear you. <laughs> well, then you've already heard, haven't you? Yeah, but how would you do that? Well, either you go back to the team car and have a private conversation or you try and find somewhere discreetly to say it. It's not really the way around. Yeah. You could still hear me, I guess, but yeah. uh, I, I don't think it makes that much that much difference, really. I think, yeah, in that case, when you're saying something so specific like that, you would go back to the team car. Yeah, the team car. Or you would that, yeah. just get the. There would be a plan Before from the, the bus. Yeah. And you might be like, "Can you in the team radio to the DS, the director sportive, can you repeat?" this morning's plan on the radio to everyone, please. Yeah. And then that plan might go through the headphone and everyone would hear it then. I mean, if I'm moving up in the bunch and I see a rider in front of me and I know he's from France or from Spain or whatever, I'll choose the, his language to let, let the non-coming past. Yeah. You know, and if, if Italian's in front of me, occhio, yeah. which means I'm, I'm coming past, you know, pay attention, you yeah. know, just so they can trickly you know find that out so you don't say excuse me excuse me or move it doesn't make any sense you know most of them speak english anyway but i would choose that exactly and you, you tend to i find you tend to speak a bit more of the language of the country you're racing in that's very true yeah all right some random, random questions now let me hit you on uh what are the what are some of the strange unusual items you have seen your teammates pack and the worst thing you lost or left behind at a Grand Tour. This is from Jethro Nagal. So, strangest things. I remember Chris Jensen had this mat. I think you've got one now. Yeah, the acupuncture mat. Yeah, it's like a it's like a a nail mat. It's it's, it's like you roll horrible. out this mat. It's like got upside down nails in it and you lay on it remember mm. those pictures of people laying on nail beds it's like that what is it yeah it's basically that super super solid to lay on but it's like sort of stimulates meant to stimulate all the nerves on your back and re- relax it but i really rate it i think it's a great thing but yeah i guess that's that's one of the weirdest i was saying because i room with chris in the giro too and we both had our unusual mats laying on them so on the bed on the bed yeah you do on the ground you know about it Oh, yeah? Yeah, you got a little, little bit of cushion underneath because uh, you don't have any give. It gives you some damage. Um, what is the worst thing you've left behind, though? At a, at a um, pretty pretty, pretty boring. I think I've... Oh, actually, no. Last year at the Giro... <laughs> Because you always get your kit, it's always a little bit wet, and so you're hanging up on the coat hangers in the cupboard. Yeah. And up until then, sometimes you close the cupboard door or whatever, you're like, oh, my kit's in there for the next morning, I'll get it out. And this specific day, I just didn't get it out and went to the stage start, and there was, I had no kit, like all my extra kits in my suitcase, gone in the truck, gone to the stage. Okay. And halfway there, I was like, oh, my kit, shit. And so... One of the swan years had only just left. He was leaving a bit later. 
he turned around, he went back to the hotel, got all my kit, and then brought it to the stage start. That was probably the worst. Crisis rated. What about you? Um, oh, this is like not that bad, but I have these like Moroccan sandals that I bought from Morocco. I wear around the hotel, you know, they're like precious to me. <laughs> and I left them second day of the Giro. But uh, one of Did my, you ring the hotel? Yeah, rang the hotel. They had them. Sweets one year of mine. Had a mate who lived close. Went and picked them up. DHL'd them to the rest day. Got them back. So, uh, But yeah, you always lose your heart rate strap every now and then. And things like that. Garmin's and, you know. Power charger. Power charger. Yeah. You lose a power charger. Soap in the shower that you might have. Or Yeah, exactly. Who stays in 21 hotels and doesn't lose something three weeks you know quick one best French beer Brian Keeley this is from Brian Mitch I'm going to have to pass this one to you mate I don't you're the beer connoisseur well I've got this I only drink probably one French beer apart from like you know Cronenberg which I don't really like um, it's called I don't even know how to pronounce it it's like La Goudale so it's L-A sp- space G-O-U-D-A-L-E. It's like a Belgian blonde. Um, I like that beer. I, can, I get it around. You can get it up in Andorra. Uh, I bought it in Paranese this year. Bought a couple of bottles at home. So that's, look out for that one. That's a nice one. All right, let's, let's wrap up with a couple of random questions. I mean, a couple of questions specific to you, Luke. Can you tell the eights apart? Yep. One rides with his little knee out. The other one doesn't. <laughs> Adam's got a nasty little cut from San Sebastian that you can see, and no, you can tell them apart. But they are they are different. They look different to us now. You know them, so yeah, it's easy enough for us. But early days, we thought we could probably do one Grand Tour and only announce one's doing it, and then one does the first week, one does the second, and no one even know. But yeah, no, you can't tell apart. Being a domestique in Grand Tours means you can't fully, you know, have stage ambitions in the time trial. We just discussed this before. Um, is that true? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep, it's true. You, you potentially can't go full in TTs because you're doing your job, um, which is why you're in the team in the first place. So you bury those ambitions um, early, and if you get the chance, you you go for it. Uh, you just have to be mentally prepared for, for, whatever, the, for whatever the team wants. And, um, yeah, this is what it is. Hobbies outside of the peloton, Durbo? Um, it's from Garth Bailey. Sorry, I haven't been reading people's names out. Hobbies outside. I have an electric, electronic drum kit. I give a That's bash fun. every now and then. Um, well, I just heaps of extra stuff. You know, play war ball with you guys. October is the best time to do those hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, drink a few beers. What do you do in the hotel at night? Um, That's re- a question from Mitch Docker. Life in the Peloton. I really like looking at real estate. There you go. So, yeah, realestate.com in Australia. I, I'm often on that, just looking at properties just because something that interests me. I've grown up with that. My parents have done up houses as a kid. So I really look at just get online and zoom in and have a look at different areas and what's going on. So, huh. yeah, I don't know, things like that. Keep up to date with what's going on in Australia. I listen to Triple J in the morning, things like that. Do you? Um, you read a bit. I do. Yeah. Yes, I was. I'm. I was reading a book recently called Sleep. Oh yeah. Um, 
which was very interesting, which was... Um, There's no pages. <laughs> just, yeah. Which just, is like... Just says go to sleep, you know. Um, Don't read. It was... It was, it was a book about how you should sleep, um, you know, and different... Like ha- habits or... Yeah. I'm just looking up. I've bloody forgotten the author's name and I met him. Here it is. It's, it's from Nick Littlehouse and he's a sleep expert actually and he worked with sky back in the day okay and also with um manchester's manchester city and also on the the british olympic team and his idea is setting up sleep kits and that means about obviously material things in terms of the bed like pillows things like that the environment okay but also about the process of going to sleep it's a he calls it cycles. They're 90-minute cycles. Mm. And you sleep for 90-minute cycles rather than counting eight hours a night. You go, okay, I'm going to try and do five cycles tonight. And a cycle can also be preparing for bed and waking up in the morning. And mm-hmm. they're, more, they're just as important as sleep. Interesting. So an hour and a half cycle before you want to sleep, say you want to sleep at 11, mm. At 9.30, you go, okay, it's time to start getting ready for bed. And that means like shutting off the laptop, starting slowing down, you know, not eating and just not drinking a liter of water, just preparing for bed. Yep. And then when you wake up in the morning, you say you need to get on the road by 8, means you're getting up at 6.30 mm-hmm. to slowly prepare yourself that you're walking out of the door at 8 ready for the day, not waking up at quarter to 8 and then suddenly you're out on the road and by 8.30, you're like, geez, I need to go and... I haven't even woken up yet. I haven't woken up. I need to go to the toilet. I need to do this, that, and the other. Okay. So that stuff there, and it was, it was interesting. So I was reading that book. Um, it's a very small book, but it took me the whole tour of Swiss to read. I'd read yeah, like three pages, pages a night. Pages a night, yeah. But um, that's what I was doing. Um, I was reading that. Cool. Um, well, that's about all. Sorry we drift off the topic there for a bit, but the tour is around the corner. Durbo's heading off tomorrow. I'm going to tune into it. I hope everyone does too. But coming up this month, we're going to have a little break from Life in the Peloton for the next podcast. The next podcast will be in a month's time, not two weeks' time. But until then, it's a summer's break for us, a winter's break for some people back in Australia. Until then, make sure you check into Wide Angle Podium and have a listen to their other podcasts out there. Be sure to donate and look out for Durbo out there, the big turbo. He'll be on the front, no doubt. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for Derbs. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, we'll uh, I'll be tuning in in a month's time. And you know, keep out. I can't wait for the Life and Peloton merch. I'll be uh, exactly. Keep your eyes out for the that. <laughs> for the live drop of that on Instagram. Um, I'm slowly piecing it all together and trying to put the best stuff out, so uh, we can all be part of the family soon. Sounds good. Cheers, mate. Cheers.